1: CyberBit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. The FLEA APT sets its sights on diplomatic targets... An update on the Klop gang's exploitation of a Move it vulnerability. Unpatched TP Link Archer routers are meeting their match in the Condi Botnet. The muddled Libra threat group compromises companies in a variety of industries. A look into passwordless authentication. Derek Mankey of Fortinet describes the global threat landscape. Rick Howard speaks with Rod Wallace from AWS about data lakes. And Fancy Bear noses its way into Ukrainian servers. I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire Intel Briefing for Wednesday, June 21st, 2023. A Chinese cyber espionage campaign has hackers hoping to be a flea on the wall in foreign affairs ministries across the Americas, The Threat Hunter team at Symantec released a new report detailing a recent cyber espionage campaign seen targeting various ministries of foreign affairs. This campaign is said to be conducted by the China-backed advanced persistent threat group called The Flea, with other known aliases that include APT-15, Nylon Typhoon, and Backdoor Diplomacy, among others. It's deploying Backdoor.Graphican, a third generation backdoor derived from the previously used Ketrician and BS2005. The report says that the major difference between the functionalities of Graphican and Ketrican are Graphican's use of the Microsoft Graph API and OneDrive to obtain its command and control infrastructure. Symantec also drew similarities between Graphican and Fancy Bear's Graphite malware. Which also uses Microsoft Graph API and OneDrive as a command and control server. Though their techniques may be similar, this doesn't necessarily mean they're collaborating. The Flea aims to gain persistent access to its targets' networks. The record reports that there appear to be at least 63 organizations that were compromised by the CLOP ransomware gang via the MoveIt vulnerabilities. Security Week says the group's victims include Gen Digital the U.S. Department of Energy, the Nova Scotia government, British Airways, the British Broadcasting Company, Aer Lingus, and an array of others. Cybersecurity Hub reports that PwC and Ernst & Young were also compromised. Klopp claims that it doesn't have stolen data from the BBC, British Airways, and U.K. drugstore chain Boots, although the BBC notes that it's entirely possible the group is lying. The gang also told Bleeping Computer that it had deleted any data stolen from government entities. Researchers at Fortinet's FortiGuard Labs discovered a campaign that uses a newly marketed distributed denial-of-service botnet Condi. The botnet uses an unauthenticated command injection vulnerability in TP-Link Archer routers to infect machines. Condi includes several features to ensure it is the only botnet running on the infected machine. It also disables the ability to remotely shut down the router because the malware cannot survive a reboot or shutdown. The developer also seems to have incorrectly implemented the feature to kill previous versions of itself running on the infected router. Condi is unusual in using a scanner to search for open ports on HTTP servers, to send what researchers say is a hard-coded exploitation request to download and execute a remote shell script that will infect vulnerable TP-Link routers. Condi creates an HTTP server that will in turn masquerade as a legitimate Apache HTTP server, responding with a server Apache header. A bargain in the C2C market, Condi is being offered on Telegram for the low, low price of just $5. Criminals can buy the source code for 50 bucks. Fortinet strongly recommends that users continue to update their machines to prevent threat actors from exploiting them. This vulnerability was discovered in mid-March of this year and was patched two days after its discovery. Astrology may be making its way into your life, though not in the way that the mystic reading their horoscopes would tell you. Palo Alto Network's Unit 42 is tracking Muddled Libra, a threat group that uses the Octopus Commodity phishing Kit to compromise entities in the software automation, business process outsourcing, telecommunications, and technology industries. Unit 42 assesses that the group has an affinity for targeting customers downstream of their victims using the data they've stolen— and they say that if allowed, they will return repeatedly to the well to refresh their stolen data set. This allows for a return to past victims, even following the company's initial response. Axiad this morning released the findings of a password list authentication survey it commissioned. Conducted by Enterprise Research Group, the survey covers an array of vectors related to authentication, challenges, user experiences, user attitude toward authentication, and the wants and needs of organizations that implement authentication measures. Professionals across the cybersecurity development and IT fields within North America were surveyed. Phishing and social engineering attacks proved to continuously be a point of concern, as 92% of the survey's respondents reported fear over credential harvesting. Almost 60% of respondents report with confidence that they believe compromised accounts or harvested credentials have been the cause for a successfully implemented cyber attack within the last year. Passwordless authentication seems to be a prioritized vector for these professionals. As a majority, 82% of respondents placed a move to passwordless authentication within their top five priorities, with 85% reporting a move to passwordless authentication planned within the next one to two years. Respondents also report a belief that a move to passwordless authentication will aid IT and support teams within their organization, with 86% of those surveyed in agreement. And finally, the GRU's APT28 group, Fancy Bear, used three RoundCube exploits against Ukrainian email servers in the course of a renewed and recently detected Russian cyber espionage campaign. The attack's success was enabled, CERT UA says, by the victim's continued use of an outdated version of the RoundCube open-source webmail software, a version that remains susceptible to SQL injection attacks. CERT UA credits the detection of the activity to information received from a Western company working within a program of regular information exchange and thanked them for their aid and their disclosure the company is unnamed, but it's clearly Recorded Future, given the link CERT-UA provides to the research that tipped them off to the GRU campaign. Recorded Future says as much itself, an extensive account published yesterday by the company's Insect Group says, The campaign leveraged news about Russia's war against Ukraine to encourage recipients to open emails, which immediately compromised vulnerable RoundCube servers and shared that they discovered an overlap in the campaign with activity from Blue Delta, who exploited the outlook zero-day vulnerability last year. In any case, the investigation and exposure of the activity is a good example of the international public-private partnership that's proven useful to Ukraine in the cyber phases of its defensive war against the Russian invaders. Coming up after the break, Derek Mankey of Fortinet describes the global threat landscape. Rick Howard speaks with Rod Wallace from AWS about data lakes. Stay with us. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Derek Menke is chief security strategist and global VP of threat intelligence at FortiGuard Labs, part of security firm Fortinet. They recently released their semi-annual global threat landscape report, and I checked in with Derek Mankey for the details.
0: To me, the most prominent and what we highlighted in the report is uh, the rise of wiper malware or, or wiperware, as it's known as well. So, of course, these are um, attacks that have been quite limited in the past, Dave. Um, usually we saw maybe one of these campaigns per year, always APT focused. So nation state going after critical infrastructure. Um, what we saw last year and certainly in the, in the second half of last year was an acceleration effect where we're seeing Much more Wiper malware uh, being developed. Uh, We are seeing it being mass distributed, so not limited to APT. Yes, we saw some instances that started as targeted attacks uh, via APT groups, but it's really become commoditized. I mean, there's Wiper malware we observed that's been um, available on GitHub, as an example. So there's a lot more families, a lot of distributions. We observed over 25 countries uh, just with wipers alone, and if we compared the third quarter to fourth quarter last year was a 53% growth in activity just for wipers.
1: How is the the wiper malware being implemented here? Is, is, it, is it replacing ransomware or is, is that the, the threat to the organizations they're coming after?
0: So not replacing. It's unfortunately uh, supplemental and complementary. Uh, it's, it's a part of the playbook. When we talk about cybercrime, Um, So what what we're seeing really is the the white per malware being used in the playbooks along with ransomware campaigns because it is destructive in nature. They can show, um, you know, it's it's uh, effectively saber rattling, showing that they mean business, that they can take down critical systems, cause revenue lost and demand a higher payment in ransom. So it's being used in the targeted ransom campaigns. Um, And again, these are going from seven figure to eight figure uh, ransom demands. and. And if we look at how they're implementing this, uh, it's actually quite different, right? All, every single wiper that we've observed, all are developed differently. Uh, some are just looking at uh, you know, data. Some are looking at entire disks and, and partitions. Some that we've seen uh, in rare instances are actually going after firmware, uh, bricking devices as well.
1: I know one of the things that you're covering here is uh, intelligence that CISOs have available to them. What are you seeing there?
0: Yeah, this one is quite interesting as well. This is a good news story, uh, Dave. So, you know, we often talk about the bad news. Um, the, the threat landscape can be quite overwhelming. So this is a, a new feature in, in our report. And what we looked at was, we simplified this, looked at the total total attack surface, which is uh, how many vulnerabilities are out, out there in history since we started tracking vulnerabilities. And if you look at NIST and, and MITRE, you know, tracking about 200,000 uh, plus that's a lot, right? That's a big attack surface. But really what matters to organizations is um, what is the observable attack surface? So for each given organization, what vulnerabilities actually exist? And then what is the observable attacked uh, vulnerabilities, right? And so this is what we call the red zone because it's a correlation of data sets where we looked at how many, uh, you know, um, holes essentially are there out there that we can observe. But out of those holes, what are attackers actually going after and attacking? And again, if you, you, instead of boiling the ocean, now you're going from 200,000 vulnerabilities to roughly in that observable attack surface, it's much lower, about 15,000 of those. We're actually seeing there as holes out there, but in fact, only 1% of those uh, we're seeing uh, under active attack. So that's a good news story is that, Hey, we're not dealing with this. Yes. It's a massive attack surface, but in reality, these are the ones attackers going after, and it's actually a, quite a bit of a smaller subset, something more manageable for CISOs. What are you seeing
1: in terms of innovation on, on the malware uh, providers here? I know we're seeing a lot of you know, things like ransomware as a service, but are, are they actively iterating? What are we seeing there?
0: So the ransom as a service and crime services, that's one innovation piece. Uh, that's a, a business model, as we know, so there's a lot a lot of new um, services that we're seeing being added to their portfolio uh, on forums that they're offering. You know, it started years ago with DDoS as a service, phishing as a service, botnet, botnet infrastructure stuff. Now, as you mentioned, ransomware as a service, uh, but we're seeing more tagged on to that as well, like reconnaissance services as an example. So the service portfolio is one innovation piece, but the malware creation, what we're seeing is a retrofitting aspect uh, it's quite interesting. Actually, We uh, a lot of the threats that we talked about years ago, a motet, I'm going to pick on that as an example, hmm. big threat prominent years ago, has been multiple takedown attempts on it. We saw it's still, it's still one of the biggest families out there we see. And why? Because they're learning from success and they're building on existing code and retrofitting, right? Adding new elements to it to make it even more successful.
1: Well, based on the information you've gathered here, what are the take-homes? What are the recommendations for organizations to better protect themselves?
0: Yeah, so there's good news here again, right? Um, The take-homes are just, if I talked about that red zone, right, there is uh, simple management uh, that can be done to really uh, mitigate the risk for uh, penetration and entry points that attackers are using to get into these, right, to deploy things like Wiper malware, as an example, also, because shifts, are, because the attacks are going to more of a, um, a targeted nature, uh, organizations are better to be uh, to be focusing on the left side of the attack chain. Right. So more uh, education and awareness, preparation, doing security training, uh, penetration testing, breach and attack simulation, looking at things like deception technology as well, too, because all these things can actually trap you know these attacks before they hit production environments. So. So that's one piece of it. Um, on the other side, of course, as as we talk, malware continues to to innovate. So being able to uh, to to observe zero day malware attacks, such as the the wiper malware families that are being created, um, and the new ransom variants as well, ZTNA, uh, we talk about zero trust network access. Um, these are all valid uh, code payloads, um, valid techniques to mitigate.
1: That's Derek Mankey from FortiGuard Labs, part of Fortinet. Continuing our series of interviews from the AWS Reinforce conference that took place recently in Anaheim, California. My CyberWire colleague Rick Howard speaks with Rod Wallace from AWS. Their conversation centers on data lakes. Here's Rick Howard and Rod Wallace. The CyberWire is an Amazon Web
2: Services media partner, and in June 2023, Jen Iben, the CyberWire's senior producer, and I traveled to the magical world of Disneyland in Anaheim, California, to attend their AWS Reinforced Conference and talk to senior leaders about the latest developments in securing the Amazon cloud. I got to sit down with Rod Wallace, the general manager of Amazon Security Lake. Before Rod came to Amazon, he was a CISO building his own security data lake and was pressuring all the cloud providers to make it easier to do so. I started out by asking him to explain just exactly what he was trying to
3: build. Yeah, the things that, that uh, you know, as we moved from um, being a, really an enterprise uh, focused that did all of its own IT on-premise, towards cloud. Um, one of the things we very quickly, re- and also uh, as our, our applications went from being monolithic to microservices, um, it gave um, developers that opportunity to, as you microservices, they all log and build logging and, and troubleshooting around their individual service. And then when you go onto something like cloud, where you essentially um, can spin up and spin down instances, and you have all these services, well, all of those services teams generate logs, which, which is a two edged sword for security teams. It's like, yes, we've got insight and visibility. And it's like, oh, oh no. Oh, no, I have
2: insight and visibility. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, and then like, so what do you do with this? Um, well, the term I use sometimes is like exhaust that comes off of yeah. these. And and if you just try and take that exhaust and aim it at what was really meant as a, at the time, like some kind of these on-prem mentality of like the the analytics engines, you would very quickly run out of CPU or budget. Yeah,
2: hard drive space too,
3: uh, right? Absolutely, yeah. if you're doing it on-prem and these sort of things. So what we thought is, is that we need a cloud first solution to security, as opposed to trying to bolt cloud into an on-prem security model. So. So my security team um, we said, look, why don't, we, why don't we use cloud and the scalability of cloud to make a, a um, repository for our security logs that, that will grow with us and can we can flex it up and down and change it over time. And that was the start.
2: Was it just a basic data dump? Just Instead of dump, trying to store it locally, we would just get it up into – so we had all these – we could now store everything relatively cheaply compared to what we used to do. Is that what the basic idea was?
3: Um, that was a basic idea, but we, we initially built it just for our on-prem, uh, sorry, our on-cloud um, okay. sort of things because it's very easy to do that. And, and a lot of the AWS services we're using at the time, um, you know, just it's really easy to use. However, mm-hmm. however um, it's really easy to get started doing these things. <laughs> um, but then as you get into it, you start discovering that your, you know, your one person becomes two, becomes four. And so we, we you know we had an expanding team doing this. But we didn't just do a data dump um, to, to your point is is because you very quickly realize that what you end up with then is a dump yeah and and so we we did things like try to build a schema and and then then what happens when you do that of course, is you have to go to all your app teams and say, hey please uh, you know follow my this. schema that and, I need yeah and guess how thrilled app teams yeah. are good yeah. 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 yeah you're not right so so anyway, so then we ended up spending our time chasing teams to try and keep them on the path but anyways it was it was it was helpful it was it was less expensive than than an alternative solution to that and we used it and and um what i kind of said to my team was if if one of the cloud providers ever makes one of these like let's go and use that because we were finding that we were spending more time wrangling the data than analyzing the data and that's death for a security team so you were knocking on the door of
2: amazon and the other cloud providers saying hey i need this kind of thing and they say hey we're going to build one and work
3: for us basically um it it was a little more circuitous than that but um one of the nice things about um about the the cloud providers they're they all of them doesn't matter which really open to feedback and getting their their, Mm there's their CISO customers like involved in in feedback and it just so happened I was on Steve Schmitz at the time when he was the the CISO here and and we started having a conversation about how are we dealing with data exhaust and uh, you know a lot of the the um Cecil's around there were nodding with this idea that they were building a security lake. And and so um, at the time, unbeknownst to me, I guess they took that away and started using our working backwards process to to essentially um, synthesize from customer feedback, what should we build? And they interviewed me um, as a customer along with many others. Mm-hmm. Um, but then anyways, as time went on um, um, and I, I decided I wanted to go and do something else, I was just chatting with my friends at AWS and they said, funny, you know, how would you like to come and, do Lake a second time around, you know, and uh, I, I left at the opportunity, you know.
2: So, what's different now? I mean, you're into it for how many years now you've
3: been doing it? You told yeah, at me. At AWS? Yeah. A year and a half.
2: So, what's in its current form, what have you added to it that you didn't think about when you were doing trying to build it yourself?
3: Well, there are a few things. Um, one is in terms of getting your logs out uh, of AWS. Now I'm inside the machine. Mm-hmm. So um, so while we built Security Lake off of all the same services that um, any of our customers can use, we have access to some of the, the ways that we can get the logs in a way which doesn't disturb any of the other logging in place, you know. So when I was building my own, we'd have to like go to account owners and things like that. So we can just hook it up. So, so I would say we, ability to take a lot of the friction out that I, that I would have to have done as a DIY builder and did have to, to get into. But the other piece is um, is that customers, and it's really interesting to see, want AWS to be an advocate for them out into the industry, um, the security industry specifically. So that, you know, customers said, it's cool having a data lake, but if every darn source of of logs or findings or whatever is in a different format, all you're doing is pushing a problem back to me. And they said, we don't appreciate it, um, so can you advocate? And so AWS does have... Um, with its ecosystem they'd have those conversations in the industry and and that's why the industry got together and decided to create the um, open source schema that we're we're adopting in Security Lake and they've been adopting as well and and customers have really thanked us for that I would not have been able to create and get traction with a schema or something like that on my own and I know a number of our customers at DIY try building their own schema and they run into what I ran
1: That's Rick Howard speaking with Rod Wallace from Amazon Web Services Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber and that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. We'd love to know what you think of this podcast. You can email us at cyberwire at n2k.com. Your feedback helps us ensure we're delivering the information and insights that help keep you a step ahead in the rapidly changing world of cybersecurity. We're privileged that N2K and podcasts like The CyberWire are part of the daily intelligence routine of many of the most influential leaders and operators in the public and private sector, as well as the critical security teams supporting the Fortune 500 and many of the world's preeminent intelligence and law enforcement agencies. N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at n2k.com. This episode was produced by Liz Irvin and senior producer Jennifer Iben. Our mixer is Trey Hester with original music by Elliot Peltzman. The show was written by Rachel Gelfand. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.